father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious, the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. Ah, 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 ah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ryan, why are you making those weird sounds? These are the sounds of spooky monsters in the studio. Ooh, 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 ooh. Could it be ah, 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 that you're making such sounds because it's time to get spooky? Oh. That was just coincidence. We just happen to have these monsters around. But yeah, it is time to get spooky. Long-awaited spooky October. Sorry for the delay. I mean, long-awaited in the sorry. sense that it is like currently October 20th, so we are almost three months, we'll record three one. weeks in October. We three re- months in October, that would be quite a feat. We can record at least one more after Three this. months into a single month. Who says it can't be spooky November? Come on, come on, come on. It can be spooky did, all year round as far as I We did it last year. I was spooky. I was spooky two weeks into November. I mean, as far as I can tell. I listen to Monster Mash all year round, so it's fine. Before we get spooky, do you have any Star Wars news? Um, Monday Night Football. Are you ready for some football? You can watch a Star Wars trailer. Tomorrow night, Monday Night Football. The last Rise of Skywalker trailer is coming out, and that's the only news I have. Is that just a ploy to get nerds to watch football? Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot what it sounds like, because I would think normally the, like, you call it the Venn diagram of people who watch Monday Night Football and people who are really into Star Wars, like, does not cross over much. Then again, then again, though no older generation nerds want to admit this, is basically mainstream now, guys. Yeah, the thing like, is, like, you ain't that different, right? Every, all the nerds just can catch it on YouTube afterwards, including me. So it's like you're not going to watch football. This this marketing ploy isn't working on you. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm not ready. You for don't want to see if the bin man has the rock. That's basketball. I mean, but. I would argue that the people in football are at least as big as the people in basketball, and there is a rock involved. They're about as wide as a basketball player is tall. <laughs> yeah. No, the big man, I, I don't have the rock, uh, but I will watch it later, and I will give my reports on our next episode. See, it turns out everyone in America likes football, and pretty much everyone in America likes Star Wars, and so it's a pretty... And ABC is owned by Disney, and they're the ones who show Monday Night Football, so the man, the, the marketing synergy is off the charts... And all y'all, like, Star Wars nerds, like, you know, all those jocks that you used to rant about back in high school, like, you're all basically in the same boat now. Turns like, out- Star Wars is just about as widespread and mainstream as football is, so... But they don't understand it like I do. They haven't... They don't know the tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. They don't know who Grand Admiral Thrawn is. They're just a bunch of vapid dummos who like to see lightsabers hitting each other and guns. <laughs> They're just a, they don't, they don't even freaking know the backstory of Greedo. They don't listen to this podcast. They're just a bunch of freaking jocks who shop at Abercrombie and Fitch. And I'm from 2005. Your well-worn and completely unjustified sense of nerd superiority is yeah. less justified now more than ever. Well. Jocks we- listen to this show. Oh no. I really? know at least one jock who does. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to have jock erasure here. Somebody, somebody, somebody messaged me the other day. I love your show. By the way, I am a jock. By the way, I have a football right now in my hands. By the way, I'm currently en route to your house to stuff you into a locker, by the way. I brought a locker with me so I can stuff you into it. I bring it with me everywhere. Just in case I run into a freaking nerd who hosts a podcast. 
Well, we're getting off topic here. Speaking of nerds who run a podcast, I believe you have some some spooky tales to share with me today. I do have some spooky tales. Earth. First of all, do you want to know my Star Wars news? I don't have Star Wars news. Okay. Um, I have Lord of the Rings news. Surprise, surprise. I am reading it now. That's my news. For the first time, right? To go in a... Yeah, for the first time ever, I, who have hosted a Lord of the Rings podcast for two years, am reading The Lord of the Rings. No, but I am currently on the second half of The Two Towers, and let me tell you, if you were looking for Halloween reading, the second half of The Two Towers is it. So you start with the second tower. You start with... I start with... Yeah, the, famously, the first half of the book... Well, I mean, kinda. Kinda. First the first half, half of the book tower is kind one. of about one tower, Everything and the second the middle, half it goes- is kind of about the other tower, kind of loosely. The second half of the two towers, it is very spooky. Like, well spooky. Like, there, there's no way you can even capture it other than in writing. Like, the level of spookiness that is in Mordor. The, the, the level to which Mordor just sounds like a bad time. Sounds, I'm, I'm kind of scared. I don't think I can read it. No, it's haunted. I'm not old enough. It is tainted. All right, well, are you going to tell me a tainted tale from the twisted mind of J.R.R. Tolkien today? Not really a specific tainted tale, but I am going to tell you some of the mythology that sprang from Tolkien's damaged mind. That's damaged, tattooed across his forehead. He made that famous. So you can tell us some, some mysterious, menacing mythology filled with murder. Well, and, and, and I don't know about murder so mysticism much. Mysticism and malice. I don't know about murder so much, but mysticism, definitely. Malice? Um, ma- m- theoretically, malice, yes. Uh, murder? But this time about crows? <laughs> yeah, no- I'm sorry to say that no crows are uh, involved in the story whatsoever. All right, well, I'm already checked out, but let's hear it anyway. Okay, well, I'm going to try and get you checked back in with this very spooky quote. This is from The Fellowship of the Ring, the chapter, Many Meetings. And here in Rivendell, there lives... You you can put some spooky music on this, right? Yep, it's on right now. Can't you hear it? And here in Rivendell, there lives still some of his chief foes, the elven wise, lords of the Eldar from beyond the farthest seas. They do not fear the ringwraiths, for those who have dwelt in the blessed realm live at once in both worlds, and against both the seen and the unseen, they have great power. That is seen and the unseen in capitals. Ryan, today we are talking about the Unseen. The Unseen, Ryan, is not a general term for some kind of vague mystical force as it might be in uh, Star Wars. You're right. No shade. It is an actual literal realm. All things in Arda fall into the realm of either the Seen or the Unseen. So you can see it or you can't see it. It's a little, it's, it's a little bit uh, broader than that. So the unseen are objects and creatures of the spirit world. One more time for them, the, the, the listeners in the back. Uh, the objects and creatures of the spirit world. Now, I feel like you shifted into a new, new personality as you said that. Yeah, it's just a really good thing to say with a, like a shitty um, Scottish accent. The spirit world. The spirit world. Just imagine like a Scrooge McDuck saying it. I'm doing Louis the spirit world. I'm very wealthy, and I live in the spirit world. Get out of me swamp in the spirit world. <laughs> Why would he be wealthy and live in a swamp? I, I shifted into Shrek. Oh, you did? Oh my god, I get that. Donkey, get out of me spirit world. <laughs> okay, let's continue. So he said after Shrek died and Donkey summoned him by a seance. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, the unseen are objects and creatures of the, hold on, let me get, 
spirit world. Oh, it sounds weird when you say it like that. Uh, that belong to magic. So, for example, some Maiar, like Olorin, that's Gandalf. Oh, no. Uh, were said to walk unseen among the elves of Valinor. And Ose, that's the vassal of Olmo who convinced some of the elves to remain in Middle-earth. Yeah, remember that? I do. That was like two years ago when we talked about that. Would visit the shores of Middle-earth unseen. So you're saying that Gandalf was a freaking ghost? Kind of. I mean, like, he's a spirit. I mean, we're all spirits, but he's like, he can be an incorporeal spirit if he wishes to, because he's the only one, not the only one, but one of the only ones who can walk both planes. So what you're saying is every scene of the movie that doesn't have Gandalf in it, he could just be there. He could be there if he wanted to. He He could literally leave his old man body and just be there. In fact, I think we can just assume that Gandalf is in literally every scene of the movie. You can't argue that he's not. You can't argue that he's not. Just like his ring. Yeah. He, he, he could be wearing it and have it be invisible. So yeah. theoretically, yeah. he's just wearing his ring in every single scene. Yeah. Like, sometimes he's wearing it in his lip, sometimes in his eyebrow. We can't see it. Sometimes no. he's got, you know, like a Prince Albert. You just can't oh see it. You don't know. Continue. All right. So, the unseen world is neither good nor evil, and it contains both dark and bright spiritual beings. Now, what's the what's the difference? Well, I mean, for bright spiritual beings would be presumably like Gandalf, and dark would be presumably like, you know, whites. Whites, but they should be bright because they're white. <laughs> I find this very interesting because Tolkien, as a Catholic, would have had in his own belief system like a very stark delineation between like the good place and the bad place, the good unseen and the bad unseen, heaven and hell. Right. But in this, they all kind of live in the same world. They mingle, okay. They, well, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if they go for drinks with each <laughs> other like after work, but yeah, they're all in like the same place. Now, the Valar, that's the gods of Middle-earth, of course. could exist in this world with or without a corporeal form. As Tolkien puts it, quote, the Valar may walk, if they will, unclad, that's naked. And then even the elves cannot clearly perceive them, though they may be present. Now you got my attention. <laughs> now I'm talking about... I, I, this now is, I'm listening. I've mentioned naked twice now. Tell me more. Are you all aroused? Well, I'm sorry. This isn't aroused October. This is spooky October. So throw some cold water on it and cross your legs real tight and calm down. Wizards and elves who lived in Valinor existed in both the seen and the unseen realm simultaneously. Their form in the Unseen is different, and they have the ability to see and affect Unseen creatures, which reminds me of a little song. Japan. <laughs> you didn't have these ready? I meant to. Is there going to be more than one? Sure. I'm playing three different songs. Are they going to be good songs? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's not the right place. <laughs> <laughs> I believe this is the second time you've used Clay Aiken's song If I Were Invisible in as many episodes of the show. <laughs> Why do you but love Can you Clay really complain? <laughs> can you really complain? I will talk to the manager after this. This that was a bit much. Like throwback throwback there could be throwback Thursday. Yeah. Then there can be, you know, we can do throwbacks on this podcast. It's kind of all the rage right now. And and if people aren't aware of, you know, um, greatest star of a decade ago, Clay Aiken, well, I'm like spreading that awareness. Like kids are into oldies nowadays. And this counts as oldies for kids. So I'm like turning called, them on to some, ner- some oldies. I'm just saying it's causing- Later I'm going to turn them on to some Chumbawamba. Oh, God. Uh, turn this, them on to causing, some O-Town. You're causing- Some liquid dreams. You're causing a Clay Aiken in my- 
bones. Errs. No, my bones are my bones are aching (laughs) due to clay aching. Oh, I'm so sorry about that, Ryan. I guess that means you're homophobic. Don't break my heart, my aching, breaking heart. I guess that means you're probably homophobic and don't like gay people. I guess that's probably what it means. He's got too many gums. He's got too many. How many gums does he have? At least twenty more than he should. You're as many. (laughs) All right, let's keep going. All right. The Unseen World also existed within the halls of Mandos. Remember the halls of Mandos? Yeah. You go when you die. Well. Kind of. It's like you can go there. You, you, you can go there, but where you go from there is like up for debate. So the spirits of those who died in Middle-earth would reside there until they met their different fates. Right. The elves may in time be re-embodied if they chose to be and live again in Valinor. Lucky. Now the dwarves would wait in the halls of Mandos in separate halls because even heaven is racist. Yeah, talk about like... Discrimination. And, it was segregated. Segregated. It was definitely segregated. Heaven. They definitely had separate water fountains, the whole shebang. And men would reside there for a time of waiting before receiving their fate, which brought them beyond the scope of Arda until the second music of the Ainur. Whoa. Which is just a fancy way of saying, like, we don't know where they went, and... Neither did Tolkien. Mandos doesn't care, because they ain't elves. They ain't elves. Who gives a crap? Uh, no, Tolkien also did not know, or at least he didn't care enough to tell us. I like it. Now, spirits which did not heed the call of Mandos could choose to remain in Middle-earth as part of the Unseen. Does that mean they became ghosts? You bet your ass it does. Quote, for the elves, physical death meant that their spirits would be summoned to the halls of Mandos. If they elected to answer the summons, they had the hope of living a physical life again, although they would be expected to remain in Valinor. Mm. If, however, they refused the summons, they could remain in Middle-earth where they had dwelt, but they would remain as disembodied spirits. They were essentially wraiths, ghosts. The elves would haunt their former lands. They chose to do this? They They chose to do this, so this only happens to you if you choose. Why somebody would choose this, I don't know. I guess they just love Middle-earth that damn much, and it just kind of a rotten trick. Yeah. You can be reborn, but only if you stay in Valinor. If you want to go back to your former home and, like, see your former loved ones and, like, live the life to which you are accustomed, you need to do it as a wandering spirit. A bright spirit or a dark spirit? Well, a bright one if you were an elf, presumably. Now, here I can actually comment on this because in the game Shadow of Mordor... Your whole plot is you are a guy who, a human, a man who has, who has seemingly died but come back to life and is inhabited by an elf spirit. And the elf spirit, uh, Gollum can see him. Oh. And he calls him the Bright Master. The Bright Master! Because the Bright Master, it's Celebrimbor, baby. Wait, Celeb, are you, so you're The man who forged the rings. So, Celebrimbor, are you saying, chose to come back to Middle-earth as a ghost? With unfinished business to help out this man and, and, uh, to, to fight Mordor. Why did it take him, like, literally thousands of years to find a body? Like, are you just, like, that hot? He just picked that. Are you, I mean, he's a real, I mean, have you played the game at all? No. He's quite manly. So you're just literally that stacked that Celebrimbor has waited thousands of years to choose your hot little body to well, have it. It's because you're you're a dead guy and you might have similar aims because obviously Celebrimbor is like he's kind of pissed that this dude is using his rings that he made for for real crappy purposes. Well, yeah, I, I have to yeah, imagine that really annoyed him. And he got this just guy annoyed who, the pants off of him. And he wants this guy who wants revenge against the orcs who killed his family. And it's like, why not work together here? And I will give you a little bit of my elf magic. Like, so, so the main character is able to, like, you know, do some, like, elfy stealth stuff as well. And, like, shoot, shoot a spirit bow. I kind of like the sound of this game. game you know, ass, yeah. like, for a video game, it sounds like they did 
for a video game, a yeah. fairly deep dive into some yeah. of the lore. Yeah, I actually thought about it a lot. So. so that's cool. Wait, do we have it? I have it on the computer. We can you can play sometime. Yeah, I would like to. I would like to. So cool. Okay, so good to know that the illustrious Calibrimbor chose to become a ghost so he could live out his petty revenge fantasy. But which rules? Yeah, Tolkien discussed the state of elven spirits in the article "Laws and Customs Among the Eldar." Doesn't that sound like a thrill a minute? Published in Morgoth's Ring, he called the dead elves quote houseless. And refer to their disembodied spirits as houseless fea. Do you remember fea with like this, mm, the soul? Yes. For elves? Okay. Now the early elves who knew nothing or little of the Valar, remember they were born far in the east of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Right? So they didn't know about the gods or about Valinor until they made that trek. And like some of them couldn't even be like effed to go all the way. Go yeah. all the way. Uh, so they frequently refused the summons to Mandos. Like, who is this guy is summoning me? Uh, he looks like kind of a creep. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not just going to let go where you tell me. I'm not your little puppet. You can't just make me dance. I'm going to stay here in Middle Earth. And they would refuse that summons. And the Mandos would be like, well, that's cool. But now you're a freaking ghost forever. Well, I'm an independent woman who, who don't need no Mandos. Who don't and- need no Mandos. <laughs> Except they did. Because here's the problem. During Morgoth's tenure in Angband, he forced any elvish spirits that refused the summons into slavery. You can't make a ghost a slave. I don't know if Mandos hold them that. You, or, can't, you can't do that. Uh, you, you can enslave a ghost, Ryan. What do you think the barrel wraiths are? You put a ghost in the shackles, they can just come right out of them. Because no, you think, because, yeah, because they have no corporeal forms. So they can just yeah. phase through it. Um, Not if they're put on you by Morgoth. <laughs> yeah, so he would literally enslave the ghosts. Such spirits would become truly tormented souls, and it is tempting to speculate on whether the Barrel Whites and other horrors might have been elvish spirits corrupted into the service of evil. Oh, that's a bummer. That is a bummer. That is a real bummer. So, you know, those are basically, like, your two choices. Like, come and live in paradise with, like, some gods that you don't know from mm-hmm, Adam. Mm-hmm. Or, like, literally be a slave, but as a ghost. A ghost slave. That's a bad choice. Do his washing up in his kitchen as a ghost. But I guess so. I mean, the ones that stuck around are probably like, man, we bet on the wrong horse. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? You could like, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Like, it's too late. You can't put that. You're that, already a ghost slave. Can't put that ghost back. Can't in the put bottle. that ghost back in the bottle. Uh, the witch king, as a bearer of a ring of power, could have called the spirits back from the Mandos halls. So the only reason he was able to summon them is because they had refused the call of Mando. So in paradise, oh no, that's not enough. Their punishment is not only you're not in paradise, your life sucks. Yeah. You literally get enslaved and put in a big hill of dirt. Yeah, this is a callback to last spooky October. Go back and listen to Barrow Whites. Barrow Whites episodes. Yeah, Yeah. you'll know what we're talking about. Because remember, like, those Barrow Whites weren't naturally no, there like uh, they were brought there yeah the witch king sent sparrets into the into the, the hills in the hills he's tore them from the sparrow wild into the hill wild but what about men could men do anything with elf spirits well according to the game shadow of mordor yes well they could like be possessed by them yeah but uh here's what tolkien had to say of manish communication with dead elves Ooh, we're talking about like seances yes i cannot believe he weighed in on this subject but he did so here's what he said it is therefore a foolish and perilous thing besides being a wrong deed forbidden justly by the appointed rulers of arda if the living seek to commune with the unbodied though the houseless i.e ghosts may desire it especially the most unworthy among them i mean they're like lonely as hell yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for the unbodied wandering in the world are those who at the least have refused the door of life and remain in regret and self-pity. Some are filled with bitterness, grievance, and envy. Some were enslaved by the Dark Lord and do his work still, though he himself is gone. They will not speak truth or wisdom. To call on them is folly. To attempt to master them and to make them servants of one's own will is wickedness. Such practices are of Morgoth, and the necromancers are of the host of Sauron, his servant. Whoa. So, like, 
I'm guessing oh. he wasn't huge on Ouija boards. No, I bet not. I'm guessing he wasn't big on the spiritualist movement. He didn't like uh, the emotional approach. He did not or- like the emotional approach. He didn't confront the ghosts. He EVPs. didn't go into dark houses and give himself panic attacks, yelling at the ghosts to fight him. He was no Zach Bagans. He was no Zach Bagans, is what we're saying. He didn't try to talk to evil spirits in chat rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a-, a new ability Zach Bagans evidently has that delights me to no end. And no, he he didn't approve of that. And to me, it seems like a little bit of a raw deal. Because, Mm -hmm. like, some of these elves refused the call to the halls of Mandos because they didn't know who the hell Mandos was. That seems like a fair enough reason to stay back. And we don't know that Mandos explained it to him. He might have just been like, come with me. And they're like, what the hell? No, who are you? I'm sorry. And you are? And you are? Like, we're the first children to awaken by the the pools of Quivianen. Like, Mm. and you are? And and so they refused. Sir? 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 Excuse me, sir? And so they uh, had to live in torment forever. And apparently they can tell only lies, and they are filled with uh, bitterness, grievance, and envy. So that's nice. It seems like they're being, like, eternally punished and having their names dragged through the mud Mm -hmm. just for not wanting to, like, go to a mansion with some rando. Like, if some big dude invited me to his mansion and I didn't know him, I would be an idiot to go. That'd be some strange That's how I end up on, like, Dateline Investigates. Like, (laughs) that is not going to go well. Anyway, eventually, men who practice necromancy may find their bodies seized by the houseless elves and themselves rendered houseless. So tell me, did this guy in Shadows of Mordor, like, did he practice necromancy? No, he was actually, he was like like a a Gondor uh, ranger. Interesting. I'm not exactly sure how this would have went down. He died, and I think, I don't know, at the game... Oh, uh, he died, he left his body, but then he... So he shared his He spirit, shares his body, yeah. His spirit, that's usually not how it goes. Usually the elf would take his body and he'd be left houseless. But Celebrimbor is a nice guy who said, here, fella. I mean, Celebrimbor is a stand-up dude, if a little naive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what becomes of such houseless mannish spirits? Tolkien's essay does not say... Because he doesn't oh, care what okay. happens to men. It's all about the elves. Uh, but it condemns necromancy in the strongest terms. The practice must therefore have been known among even the elves. Even the and elves? And it may be that their attempts to engage in necromancy led the Valor to decree that such communication was off limits. So we know there must have been some, like, adolescent elves who, like, decided they were wicked. Some real goth. And, like, yeah. some goth kids, like, made a circle in a graveyard around an old Ouija board and, like, tried to summon, I don't know, like... um like Anton Crowley or something like that. Yeah. Wait, Anton Crowley? Wait, what's his name? Alistair Crowley? <laughs> talking about Anton LaVey? You know why? I got to mix up with Anton LaVey. They also tried to, they tried to, to, to summon both of them. That's what I'm trying to do. It's economy of words. The damage. So though the Valar did decree necromancy to be off limits, the damage was already done. People knew they could communicate with the dead, even if they couldn't be sure of who's dead they were communicating with. Mm, okay. Now, here's Tolkien a little bit more on the unseen. In reality, Tolkien goes into very little detail about the other side to reality. However, we can surmise that it is very similar to the other side as mentioned in traditional folklore. So, like, in traditional folklore, it's commonplace to find fairies and elves and other sprightly, magical, uh, or evil beings moving between our world and their own mysterious realm as, like, a parallel dimension. Sure, yes. Not so much a heaven or a hell, just, like, a little side pocket mm-hmm. dimension. Uh, these stories, these traditional stories, are in part the origin of the idea of fairyland, and it seems plausible that Tolkien's idea of the ghostly unseen is somehow related to them. He loved that mythology stuff. He but... did. Um, in the end, though, he gives us so little information that it's like, hell if we know. Yeah. All yeah. we can do is really speculate. Uh, Tolkien did write that his characters, he did specify, the elves of Middle-earth were not like the elves commonly found in fairy tales, because those elves are like kind of lame in his elves rule. They're weird little tricky guys, whereas his elves are tall and beautiful. 
beautiful and shoot bows. Yeah. They're not fairy-like. They're gorgeous. Mm -hmm. They're sexy. They have wonderful bone structures. They have deep eyes. They have a sensual intelligence, the likes of which you will never see in this day and age after the death of chivalry. They are just so deep, broad, and thick, and beautiful. And he can't, like, he can't even speak in front of them because he's just, like, shamed to silence by their beauty. I thought this was spooky October, not sexy October. This is, well, I mean, spooky and sexy often coincide, let's be real. More specifically, Tolkien said of his elves, the elves shed all associations and qualities that would be now uh, commonly considered fairy-like, and those who remained in the great lands and ages of the world at this time unconceived were to grow greatly in stature and in power. Mm. There was nothing filmy or transparent about the heroic or majestic elder of the third age of Middle-earth. Uh, however, in his descriptions of the elves, those elves who remained in Middle-earth, i.e. as ghosts, would in time be consumed by their own spirits. Wait, what? So? So, quote, Ere Arda ends, all the Eldar on Earth will become as spirits invisible to mortal eyes until they will be uh, will it to be seen by some among men into whose minds they may enter directly. So, so they're going to be, so this is, this is Scientology. They are not signing billionaire contracts, but, but yes, but yes, they are becoming Phaetons who make you unhappy. Gosh, okay. And you do need to do extensive auditing to get rid of them. That's wild. Anyway, if you ever wondered what happened to the elves that didn't cross over to Valinor at the end of the Third Age, I guess that's what? They just Question turned mark? into ghosts and um, who will return into bodies eventually? Yeah, they, well, no, they could, I don't know, they can enter your mind. So, But essentially they became invisible, which reminds me of this thing I heard one time. Is it by Clay Aiken? <laughs> <laughs> You said you had three songs. This is one song. Played twice. I'm, I mean, like, yes, but I'm starting it in a different place, so it counts <laughs> as a different song. Joanna! <laughs> and it's really fitting because they will indeed make you theirs. Uh, they will enter your mind directly, whatever that means. It's uh, ten times more frightening for being so vague. Yeah, yikes. Yes. Um, another Tolkien passage relating to the downfall of Numenor in uh, Akalabeth hints at even greater importance of the domain on the other side. The passage says, quote, Valinor and Eresea were taken from the world into the realm of hidden things. The precise meaning of this passage is not explained, but, quote, the realm of hidden things seems to correspond closely with the idea of the other side. If that is, in fact, the case, then on the other side, the Valinor could still be found in the West that was. Like, Mm. theoretically, even today, if we could get to the other side, we could find the Valinor. Well, hopefully, Zach Bagans can figure it out. Zach Bagans needs to use the emotional approach. He needs to go to Valinor, and he needs to yell and and threaten the the elfish spirits and um, call them names. He loves being possessed. And he's going to get possessed by them and give himself a panic attack in the woods. Watch Ghost Adventures, listeners. It's really good. He's got all of our funny jokes. He's definitely going to talk to Feanor in a chat room. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, though, Ryan, it's time to get into the really spooky shit because it's time to talk about the dark side. Oh, I thought we were on on that already. Not really. No, because we've been talking about elves. Okay. Things get a little freaky. If you summon them with necromancy, it's not so good. They can definitely enter your mind. Yeah, that's Which is vague and creepy. Don't like that. But more specifically, um, we also have the Wraith World to discuss. Oh, right. Right, the Wraith World. The Wraith World. As the name suggests, the Wraith World is the world where the Wraiths exist. That's when Frodo puts on the ring 
He goes in the Wraith land, right? And he sees them with their saggy balls, yes. Oh, man. Don't Canonically. About- Canonically. No, they open their robes. No, they give him a little peek. No. Now, the Wraith world was a mysterious alternative aspect of reality that belonged to the realm of the Unseen. So it's still the realm of the Unseen, but it's like a it's like a bad neighborhood that you don't want to oh, go to. Oh, sure. It's like that neighborhood my sister used to live in where um, a meth head got spooked by a bullhorn and ran into her so hard she broke herself. Yeah. Like... That's probably the wraith world. That's probably the wraith. Some of the most obvious examples of unseen creatures were, in fact, the ring wraiths, who were invisible and formless without the guises provided by Sauron, a.k.a. like cloaks. Cloaks. Like cloaks. Like he gave them cloaks. Otherwise they would have been, you know, formless. Which seems like it would have been an advantage, actually, mm. in their line of work. But whatever. I'm not here to criticize. Maybe Sauron was just like, I'm always in the unseen. Well, I can always see your balls. You need to put these on. It's all about aesthetics. You know, you gotta have a, you gotta, like, if they're just invisible nothings, that's scary. But a big guy in like a black horse with red eyes. And, and like, then he has no head. No head. Like, he's, no like a, face. he's a ghost man with a flowing black cloak. That's aesthetics. That is aesthetics. That's personal brand. Sauron was kind of a dramatic bitch. He knew his demographic, and he marketed to them well. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if they hadn't had those clothes on, you think they would have been able to push all those young living essential oils? No, or all not. of those, um, like... Buy our 31 bags! Plus, yeah. <laughs> Replenish your hair with our placenta wash! Yes! That's kind of stuff. Yeah. He had to push that stuff. Now, the rings of power were one of the means that could partly draw one into the wraith world. Mm. The men who became the ring wraiths seem to have led a dual existence on the boundary between two worlds. Our own seen world and the unseen wraith world. Just like Hannah Montana. Just like (laughs) she got the best of both worlds. (laughs) I would argue they got the worst of both worlds. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Because first of all, like living in the wraith world just sucks objectively. Mm -hmm. And then they, they had to wear clothes. Yeah, yeah. Like that sucks. Nobody wants to do that. All right, so after centuries, they ended up fading, and while they had a partial form in our reality, they had a much more solid existence in the unseen. Mm-hmm. The blades of the ring wraiths seem to have been used to terrorize their servants, as the orc Gorbag attested to. Specifically, in Lord of the Rings, Gorbag said, quote, Those Nazgul give me the creeps, and they skin the body off you soon as look at you, and leave you all cold in the dark on the other side. So it's implied that they are punishing their servants oh, by gosh. putting them in the other side. And yeah, Gorbag, speaking truth to power. Gorbag, Gorbag really laid it out. That's why Gorbag was too hot for TV. That's, mm-hmm. why, they, that's why they pulled his HBO special. <laughs> which was called Come On Now. <laughs> also, if the broken shard of the Nazgul blade that stabbed Frodo had reached his heart, he would have been completely transformed into not only an unseen existence, but into the wraith servant of a Nazgul. Oh, wow. So okay. not only would he have had to live completely in the unseen 24 hours a day, not only would he have been a wraith, but he would have been a wraith servant. servant. He would have so... been like a wraith gopher. Like, he would have had to go get them their lattes first thing in Dang the morning. Dude. Like, that sucks. That's rough. Yeah, a Wraith personal assistant is essentially what Frodo would have uh, turned unpaid into. Unpaid Wraith intern. Yeah, world permanently. Which wasn't necessarily all bad. For example, being drawn into the Wraith world allowed a person to utilize strange powers and heightened olfactory and auditory senses. You can smell real good. Yeah, so those are the only two senses that are listed, olfactory <laughs> and auditory. So apparently your sight, touch, and taste would be... Um, at best, the same as in the scene world, but your smell and hearing would rule. It'd be top notch. Yes. Now, the Wraith world was not populated by wraiths and ring bears alone. You know, it just occurred to me, that's probably why the ring wraiths are always sniffing. 
Oh, yeah, you're right. Olfactory skills. Their olfactory oh. skills are much better than their eyesight. It all comes together. All right. Now, the Wraith world was not populated by Wraiths and Ring Bearers alone. The elves also existed in a brilliant, shining form on the other side of the threshold in the Unseen. Of course they did. In fact, Frodo saw Glorfindel in this form while on the brink of the Wraith world himself, and Gandalf later suggested that this nature was common to the High Elves. So this shining, luminous body... That was in the unseen. Yeah, that was like their yeah. true form because elves rule and they're hot. They're good at everything and they're, and they're beautiful angel babies and all that. Yeah. And we're just like garbage. We're just like trash garbage people. We're just a bunch we're like of like. We live in the dumpster behind Taco Bell. Bunch and of little, like yeah. shoot up spoiled sour cream. We're just a bunch of dumpster gremlins and they're like yeah. freaking angels. Yeah. Exactly. They're my angles. Uh, put another way, while Frodo was suffering from the effect of the Morgul blade, he could see, quote, Glorfindel's true luminous form because he himself was being drawn into the right, scene. Right. Apparently, this wasn't just an alternative form of elves, but their true form. So truly, the elves' chakras vibrate on a higher plane of existence. they got crystals. They've got crystals. They've got, like, so much rose quartz just infused into every level of their chakra. And they have Himalayan salt candles. Definitely. And... Elves would, too. Yeah, you know they what? would. They, like, totally would. They I actually they, would. I bet they take really long baths. Have oh. you ever thought about that? I bet they take like six hour baths surrounded by Himalayan rock salt. Elves are all about self-care. Yeah, definitely. They pioneered self-care. Uh, another interesting note, the mysterious individual known as Tom Bombadil could see Frodo when he was wearing the ring. Oh, come on. Whether this implies that he lived in both realms is not clear. It kind of makes me wonder if Tom Bombadil would be able to see me. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Imagine Tom Bombadil singing this song. Watching you in your room. If I was invisible. <laughs> if I could just watch you in your room. Hi, Mary Doll. Dilly. Long Dilly. If he was invincible, he'd make you his tonight. I hope not. As creepy as that. The thing is, Tom Bombadil like, basically is invincible. He could take you tonight. Yeah. And there'd be nothing yeah. you could do about it. Yeah. That's what I have for you. Golly. Were you spooked? Yeah, I'm spooked about the thought of Tom Bombadil making me his tonight. Yeah, I thought I, you know, I thought I would be an extra spooky note. <laughs> so that's what I have for you. To the bone, but the spirit world. Now, what I think we're going to do next week is actually, I think we are going to read some of the spookier passages from Lord of the Rings, if that's okay with you. Um, I think I'm going to do Mordor as the theme, mm, but I okay. want you and I to do a lot of readers' theater because there are some like truly creepy passages. Mordor, I prefer less door. <laughs> less door for me, please. Hold the door, if oh, you would. Yeah. Is it possible? I'm sorry. I'm I'm extremely gluten sensitive. Can you hold the door? <laughs> That's, that'll be fun, though. Looking yeah. forward to that. All right. So, what do you have for me? Well, <laughs> producer Golem here popping in for just a moment. The stupid fat Hobbit's recording device did not pick up some of the recording, and so we've had the stupid fat Hobbit come in and re-record some sections. So if it sounds weird or unusual, that's why in some parts. Enjoy! I went back to that old spooky wheelhouse, the haunted uh, 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 place where young children's horror literature dwells. You read My Hairiest Adventure? I read My Hairiest Adventure. Twist is, they were dogs the whole time. Um, oh my god. Spoilers. No, I read another banger from my man John Whitman. We're going back to that spooky, spooky galaxy of fear, baby. Oh, really? Yes. With the cool, like, slip boarding or whatever it is. Skim boarding. Skim boarding. The... And, like, your uncle who's a monster. And yes. Borborgamus Gog. Well, Borborgamus Gog is dead. Yeah, so if you didn't listen to the Spooky October last year, the Galaxy of Fear series is a basically like Star Wars Goosebumps. Uh, it follows a family 
these two orphans from Alderaan and their weird Uncle Hul, who's a shapeshifter. And they travel around the galaxy. And the first six books, they were fighting against this evil, also shapeshifting scientist named Barborgimus Gog. Like the worst scientist ever. Like, they definitely gave him this assignment out of either pity or just to get him out of his hair. Yeah, the Empire kept giving him jobs and um, he kept messing and he, up. And he screwed them up every time. And he's like, you know, what was it? It was Operation... Operation Starscream. Operation Starscream. Like a Transformer. And, and he never did manage to take leadership from Megatron. No, nope, never alert. did. No. Megatron! So this one is the sixth... Sorry, the seventh book in the series called The Brain Spiders. The Wow, okay. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what this could be about. It's kind of an ambiguous title. A little bit. So the Aranda family, they're back, baby. We got Tash, the girl. We got Zack, the boy. We got Uncle Hool. But who's missing? Um... Our buddy DB9. DB9. The, the that assistant robot. droid. So, that robot that doesn't care if the kids live or die. Right. So the second book, I guess John Whitman must have figured he's like too cool of a character for these books because on the second page, Gapter Hull repaired DV of his injuries. Because yes. remember, the last book, they ended up fighting the super weapon that Borgamus Gog was working out, which turned out to be this crazy super baby yeah. that became a monster. Yeah, it was like a space baby that was like going to eat planets and stuff, right? right? And it was un- it was invincible, it was invincible, it could shape shift, it was all it was basically unkillable. It was like the worst kind of baby. And, so and babies are pretty bad to begin DV with. DV was wrecked in the process. They fixed him, but after that, he decided like he had too much excitement and he retired to a galactic research base for, you know, just to hang out, just to like enjoy retirement. I have a feeling something's going to bring him out of retirement. Not in this book. No, okay, no. <laughs> I stand corrected. So uh, this is good timing too, because now after Project Starscream was destroyed by the kids and Uncle Hul, uh, the Empire wants their heads big time. So, but good time for DV to tap out. I, I would say so. He sees the writing on the wall. It's like, I'm out. I'm outie. So the first chapter of this book takes place in a small, crappy spaceport where Tosh, soon turning 14, it mentions, makes her bro feel like a dumbass wanting to play baby hollow games. Hey, she's here's, like, here's, here's the hot goss. Her bro is a dumbass. Yeah, I know. Then she almost starts a bar fight with this huge alien. Uh, blowing, a bar fight? Did like, she, like, blowing, bash a beer bottle on the side of the bar? He starts blowing like, smoke in her face and... And she's like, what the heck are you doing? He's like, I'm just blowing smoke in your face. And he's like, who's going to stop me? And she's like, I am. <laughs> well, there's this teenage girl. I'm just going to yeah. like Big jerk. start throwing hands with and her. So she really is growing up because then she demands to see the manager of the, of oh, the bar. Oh, she's, she's not just growing up. She is, she's growing up. Does she have that like gelled up hair in the back? She has that now. She has like the. She yeah. has like the, the Kate Gosling hairstyle. Yes, and yes. yeah, That's what Tash looks like now. So she talks to the manager in the back room, and she as she opens the door, she sees him with a body on the table and a bleeding heart in his hand. Okay, I changed my mind. I don't want to talk to the manager. I actually am good. I'm this fine. This is one of those classic Galaxy of Fear, Goosebump style cliffhangers for each chapter. Where it turns out like it's not actually that at all. It's actually a nerf, not a human, on the table. Oh, I mean, that's still pretty bad, though, because it's still a dead living thing. A nerf is like a cow. Yeah, but... And the manager of the bar is harvesting organs for whippets to eat. Whippets? Whippets are a species. Oh. It's like lady- I thought you said like whippets, like his dogs. Yeah, he's feeding his dogs. My dogs only eat cow hearts. hearts. Cow Every hearts. single one of my dogs will birth the stallion that mounts the world. <laughs> and whippets are like those these hairy guys. I think we talked about Lady Valerian before, like Jabba's rival. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's we a whippet. Oh, she's a whippet. Okay. Big hairy lady with tusks. Yeah. Okay. So okay. these guys eat. They love eating organs. Okay. Yeah, apparently. Right. Sometimes organs are very nutrient-rich, I hear. Yeah. So the manager tells Tosh that the guy who's blowing smoke in her face is named Carcass. Oh, okay. 
Which is a very funny name for a guy who's like big and scary and also murders people. He has 91 deaths to his name. And every time he kills somebody, he carves a K into their skull. Yeah. I think it'd be funny if every time he killed someone, he added a K to his name. Yeah. So now his name is Carcass. So Carcass is there. Uncle Hul shows up in the back and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Get back to the ship, you idiot. Stop trying to start bar fights with murderers. And they return to the ship. So their next stop is Tatooine, so they can ask for assistance from a friend of Uncle Hool's, an old buddy. That's right, Jabba the Hutt. On the way to Tatooine, Tasha does some light reading on the planet and learns about the Bomar monks, who she thinks can teach her some Force stuff. Do you remember the Bomar monks? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Isn't that like um the the heads? They're like heads. They're mm-hmm. brains. They're brains. And then they they're monks. Like... They're they're the ones who owned Jabba's palace originally. It was actually their temple that he took yeah. over. Yeah, to... yeah, 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 yeah. And then there was that that one cute little like dog alien guy, frog alien guy, Bubo, who, who baby. became one. Bubo the frog dog. He became a Bomar monk. He was enlightened. Yes. Um. Yeah. So she reads up on that. And she's like, "That's cool. I can learn some force stuff from these guys, like the ones who aren't brains in jars at this point, because there are monks that aren't just brains in jars. There's you know guys in robes who walk around and stuff." Yeah. Then Zach pranks her by cutting the ship's power to make her think they're going to crash. Oh, it's like, revenge for making fun of him for being a stupid idiot, right? Baby. But he is a stupid idiot, baby. And it's just a prank, bro. Just a prank. Tosh chews him out and goes and huffs an Uncle Hool about like her brother's just being such a stupid. By the time I was his age, I was read like half the library books on Alderaan, like. What's his freaking deal? Like, why is my brother so stupid? And who was like, one should never be in a hurry to grow up too fast. Does, does does that necessitate being really, really stupid? I mean, we know Zach is kind of impaired, but we'll see yes. what happens. Um, they land on Tatooine in Docking Bay 94, no less, which you... I, I don't think you would care to know this, but this where also where the Millennium Falcon was parked. Okay! In a new hope, right. so... You know that it's 94? Did they say it's 94? Yes, because it's was like, Docking Bay 94. And, oh, I would never in a million years. And also, the that. that's where Han Solo tells him to meet them. There's like two. Here's one thing about Star Wars. There's like a lot of numbers. Way too many documents. Lord of the Rings like does not have that many numbers involved, and um, there's just a lot of numbers. But it has a lot of elves. It does have a lot of elves. It does. It so. does, and they can come into your mind. So upon landing, they're immediately arrested by stormtroopers. Cool. Okay, so that went well. Actually. This is just another chapter cliffhanger. Oh, wait, JK? They, they're looking for Carcass because apparently two ships left the state, spaceport they were on, and one of them was the Shroud, which is the Aranda's ship. And they're like, okay, you're not Carcass. Move along, move along. Uh, uh, right. They got me again. Right. I can't believe they got the reader again. At Jabba's, they're greeted by our boy Bib Fortuna. <gasps> who's in this book? Bib Fortuna. He's Bib Fortuna! <laughs> Bib Fortuna! They give him, like, a really, like, kind of a goofy accent in this book. Like, he kind of talks, like, kind of clip sentences, kind of, like... Does he... A- doesn't really talk like that. No, he's... He, well, he talks in Hatice in the movie. Yeah. He goes, De Wanda Wanga. And then he's like, No cha! No cha! He probably says that stuff uh, before they're attacked by a giant spider! <gasps> chapter Is this the brain spider or whatever that I was promised? Yes, uh, chapter cliffhanger. It's actually this brain spider walking past them. Oh, okay. So it wasn't attacking them, it was just walking past them. Now this book is just straight up lying. They can't even have thought for a moment no. that it was attacking them. And the kid's like, what the hell? And Hul's like, and it's yeah. like the other day I got attacked by this this strange man on the subway. Actually, he just walked past me. But I thought about it. But I thought about it. So Hul's like, I'll tell you about those later. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> just don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> in the throne room, a really fun- Don't worry about the brain spiders. It's my favorite moments in the book. Uh, Zack spots his buddy Boba Fett, who saved him from being buried alive in the City what? of the Dead. Oh, that's right. Boba Fett was like a good he guy. He was a hero. He saved- yeah. Of course, he also like jetpacked away whenever Zack was like- Loot! <laughs> tried to like ask him for favors. He's like, bye. <laughs> nope. Um, and Zack's like, hey, Boba Fett, you remember me? 
and he just walks away. <laughs> okay, he's not like, oh, oh, like he does do the right thing. He does save Zach yeah. multiple times, but he clearly hates him. It's such a baller move. I love you it. Know? He's just like, like that's the excited I... kid being like, hey, hey, hey. And you're just like, uh-huh. he doesn't even talk to him. He just walks away. You don't even acknowledge. Like he did the right thing. He saved the kid. That doesn't mean he likes him. Nobody likes Zach. I think Boba Fett's such a pimp in these books. He's so good. <laughs> a true baller move. Jabba's talking to an Imperial officer named Commander Fuzzle. Who's like, oh to- my god, is he like a giant anthropomorphic teddy bear? He's a fat human. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That's not what his name sounds he's like. He's an imperial guy, so he's going to be a fat human, of course. And he's like, good job, Jabba. You've turned in three criminals this month. I'm looking for another one. His name's Carcass. And, how about, how about and Jabba's like, yeah, do, pay me double. I'll do it. And he's like, good, sounds good, bro, and leaves. Then it's cool to start to talk to Mr. Jabba. He asks if Jabba can erase the Arandas in himself from the imperial networks. And Jabba's like, of to do something for me first. It's always quick or crow with that guy. The huts are just this way, you know? And he presents this ancient scroll. That he said he stole from the Bomar monks. And he wants He says he stole from the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. He stole from the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. He had to get past, like, at least two. So many temple guards. He gave them their medals. But he stole it from the Bomar monks, and he wants Uncle Hul to translate it into uh, basic. Because okay. he can't read it. It's in the ancient tongue of the Bomars. And Uncle Hul knows that. Uncle Hul knows. He's, he's an anthropologist, you remember? He goes to different planets. As somebody who studied. Um, and he's like, okay, deal. You erase us from the from the database. That's linguistics. That's like a different field. Do the, do the authors of this book realize that? Uncle Hul just goes all over. He's like all over the place, man. He's got all these. He's like a he's a polymath, really. Okay. Um, he's just unrealistically smart. I mean, like this. He's an adult as seen through children's eyes. After their meeting with Jabba, Bip Fortuna takes the Arandas to their quarters, and then down into the Bomar monks' secret tunnels beneath the palace, where they meet a young eleven-year-old monk named Beedlo. Beedlo takes him to the tea room. Don't you want to live deliciously? It sounds great. They meet a cool, younger, but still graying monk uh, named Brother Grimpin. <laughs> okay. Grimpin. Is he grumpy? He's Grimpin. Is he grumpy, though? No, he's actually very friendly. The other monks are very, like, stoic and kind of kind of off-putting. Then why call him Grimpin? Because you call him Brother Friendly. Grimpin. Uh, he believes, like, knowledge should be free for everyone, man. He's, like, super, like, open to the kids. Oh, okay. You so know. this guy is definitely, like... What do you mean? He's... Place. Yeah, he's just kind of like like a crunchy hippie kind of guy. I mean, he really is because he tells. Listen, ta- check this out, man. Like we put up all these arbitrary like barriers between us and like knowledge, but knowledge is for everyone. It's for free, man. man. Everything check about it out. knowledge should be for free. It's a crazy idea, I know, but like, and the man doesn't want you to have it, but. Uh, like he literally is a. That's why I'm against net neutrality, oh, you, you bro. Actually, you're for net neutrality. That's why I'm all about net neutrality, <laughs> bro. Because right. information should be for everyone. He is really a hippie, though, because he tells Tash like the second thing he says to her is like, "You got an old soul." Does she not? Because he's like kind of like you got some wisdom, girl. And Zach is like groaning in the background, like, "Oh my god!" Oh my god! Another person pointing out what a baby I am. Tash is invited to Grimpen's private chambers to meditate. Okay. So, abort. Like, abort. Get out. Like, it's time to get out now, girl. That is, like, red flags upon red flags. And Zach is like, this is a bad idea, Tosh. And Tosh, like, doubles down and, like, immediately goes off with him. Old soul, I ask. This is, like, classic grooming behavior. I know, right? Zach doesn't want his sister to get stranger endangered, so he tags along behind reluctantly. Uh, eventually, they reach this part of the tunnels that have what appears to be hot coals and... Grimpin says it's a test of mind over matter if you can cross them. Tosh crosses them, no problem, as does Grimpin. Uh, when it's Zack's turn, he figures there's some weird force stuff going on. So Zack's like, I'm gonna hang back. No thank you. And Grimpin's like, whatever man, I'll catch you later, we're gonna go meditate. And Zack's like, feeling more abandoned than ever since his sister's like, going off with this creep and he gets left behind again. When That's so- okay kid, you don't want what your sister is no, about to get. No, I mean, here's... 
a brain spider coming down the hall, going with his feet. And then it's like full on chasing him down the hall. He's like, he's like, this is not prime. It's just Beedlow. Zack is chased by the Bomar monk spider down into Jabba's dungeon. While he's down there, he overhears Jabba talking to none other than Carcass, the criminal from the spaceport. And Jabba is promising to help him get a new identity if he just waits one more day. He's not going to turn him in. He's going to help him get out. Anyway, the spider keeps coming, and Zack keeps on running. Somehow, during all this chasing, Zack accidentally finds himself locked in one of Jabba's dungeon cells. Long story short, he manages to get his way out using a rusty knife that was left behind. Uh, but he also frees a prisoner across the hall from him, who claims to have been a Bomar monk in training who was locked up for no reason, and he has really soft hands. And they both escape. I mean, like, he kept, like, came here to be a monk. He's not, like, a... Um, if you think that the only people who could be criminals are manual laborers, then you are really misguided in who does the majority of the criminal activity in this world. I don't world. know. I can't explain it. Zack is caught by Bid Fortuna running the other direction, and he squirts him out of the dungeon and back to Uncle Hool. So he tells Uncle Hool all about what happened with Carcass and why, what, where Tosh is, and Uncle Hool's like, don't be naive, Zack. Of course, like, Job is working with Carcass. That's what Hutt's do, and... I'm sure your sister's gonna be fine, but why don't you go 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 get her for they me? They work with Carcass. They catfish teenagers and probably molest them during meditation. It's yeah. what happens. Wake up. So he gets. I mean, constant ageism for poor Zach in this book is naive. They call him a dumb baby, uh, but still, you're supposed to resonate with it as a as person a, as a reading this book. Child. Like, definitely not a 32 year old man, right? So he sends Zach back to get Tosh and like you know bring her back up here. We get her ass back up here. You know. She shouldn't be fooling around down there anyway. Um, down in the tunnels again, uh, he runs into Beedlow, who's all panicked and freaking out. And he tells him, you gotta get out of here or we're all gonna end up dead. The, the brain transfers, they're doing unscheduled brain transfers. There's like twice as many brain spiders as there were a month ago. And they're acting really weird. Ten monks reached enlightenment, but 15 brain transfers were done. They're doing against their will, Zach. <gasps> and so it's like, Zach's like, Okay, I'll go, I'll go tell Uncle Hool. Okay, I'll go tell you. Wait here, I'll go get my uncle. And so Beetle's like, I'll Jeez. go, I'll go get, I'll go get Grimpin, okay? I'll go get, I'll go get Tosh, it's fine. Oh, you know, he's cool. You're just taking too many people's brains. I mean, they always take people's brains, but this time they're taking people's brains, they're not supposed to be taking those brains. Oh my god. So, Hula agrees it's really weird, and is like, alright, I'm gonna come with you this time. Take me down there, Zach. This actually moves too old. Yeah. This actually moves him to give a shit. They search for an hour, but they can't find Tosh anywhere. Beetle's down there too, but now it's like weirdly calm and doesn't seem to remember the conversation. Sorry, don't back there. I'm but, okay now. But he's really weird. He like doesn't seem to remember the conversation they just had. He's like, "There's nothing weird down here. I got things to do," and just kind of like stumbles off into the darkness. I gave him some thorzine or something. Very normal stuff, though. Who decides it's best that they return to their rooms and see if they can find out from there, like what happened to Tosh, where she is. Um, Zach is back in his room and finds Tosh hanging from the ceiling, like me on a hook. It's some meditation posture, isn't it? No. Yeah, it's chapter cliffhanger. <laughs> He's hanging from a from a bar to practice her Bomar teachings. She's just doing chin-ups. From her feet. Oh, from her feet. Yeah. She, you could still, you could do chin-ups that way. Yeah, they, they, call, they call them, uh, they call up. them knee-ups. 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 Oh, knee-ups. Yeah, Is that a thing? No. Okay. It's impossible. Okay. It's dumb. Um, she says that Grimpen told her that only one in a billion has the potential she has. Mm, Grimman would say that. He, Zach tells her about Beedlow and the spider weirdness, and she doesn't seem that bothered by it. 
In fact, she's like, I got more enlightened things to think about. The next morning, Uncle Hul tells the kids that Jabba can't erase their identities from the databanks of the Imperials because they've cracked down on security. Uh, instead, he's offered them identity changes, uh, new identities, you know, uh, witness protection kind of thing. And the kids are like, yeah, that'd be fine. I could have a new name. But Uncle Hul is like, I do not want this. I am strictly against it. Kids are kind of confused why. He won't explain. Uh, but Tasha's getting bored already. I gotta go see Grimpen again. Whoa. She's going back down the tunnels. Back in Grimpen's lair, uh, he's like, listen, your brother, like, he might just be jealous. He's holding you back. And, you know, giving up on old relationships is one test of enlightenment. <laughs> With your brother? With your only brother, the only real family you have left. Uncle Hula's like, only m- mar- uncle by marriage. So, like... Listen, I know he's your brother, man, but he sounds kind of annoying. He sounds like kind of a so drag. So you should probably just sever. Just, like, sever, man. Very normal thing to tell a child. Yeah, definitely. Cut off your brother. Cut off your brother. Actually, it's always normal to tell people to sever ties with those closest to them to seek enlightenment. That is definitely normal. normal. Not cult behavior, man. But first, we should gotta try a test of courage. And so, Beedler takes her out in the desert uh, at the edge of a big pit. Makes her do trust falls. And all she has to do is walk all the way around this pit without falling in or having any troubles. It just so happens, uh, by the way, this is uh, the Great Pit of Carcoon. Uh, no big deal. Sarlacc Pit, you know. Oh. Um, just walk all the way around. But it's not like he's going to push her or anything. No, no, no. So Tosh carefully walks around the edge of the Sarlacc. Uh, is almost done when Zack catches up with them and yells at her like, What the heck are you doing out here? <laughs> she pauses for a moment and then a Sarlacc tentacle grabs her leg. Okay, well, I didn't know that was on the table. Yeah. And... That probably should have been communicated to her before she was walking around. Yeah, Zack tries to pull her out, but he starts getting pulled in too. He pulls out the rusty knife he stole from the dead prisoner and starts stabbing, stabbing, stabbing the tentacle. And the fan lets him go. Uh, and Zack's like, ooh, that was a close one, huh? And Tasha's like, you're such a stupid nerve herder, Zack! Stop following me around like a bantha cub! Ugh! She gets all pissed at him. Out Even if he just saved her life. Even if he saved her life. I mean, like, now I'm kind of on his side. Right. Um, also, where is his swoop board? His skim board's back on the ship, I think. Back on, back on the old shroud. Because I feel like that could have been useful at that time. Well, he already got out of a big pit with it, right? Yeah. But they're just getting pulled in kind of by the edge. We've already established it is good at freeing people from pits. Yeah. But whatever. He mopily returns to Uncle Hool. Also, Hull. like, why doesn't her new hippie friend do anything? Because it's part of the test, man. Part so if she, like, dies, that's also part of the test? Part of test of courage, man. He doesn't sound... He's a tool, he man. He actually does not sound that chill. No. He, he might be chill than the other monks, but that's... I think I think Beedlow's probably the chillest monk there is, honestly. <laughs> I'm really chill! I'm chill! I don't tend to sweat the small stuff! Yeah! Wow! Um, Who moved my cheese? <laughs> this is my favorite book. So he mopily returns to Uncle Hool, and they have kind of a heart to heart. It's like the first heart to heart they've had in all these books. And it says Zach, like ever, they've ever had like a, a talk like this. Where he's, by heart to heart, do you mean like where he hasn't been actively disparaging where, Zach? Where Hool shows feelings toward his, <laughs> ne- for Zach, his nephew. You piece of shit, you idiot! I hate you. You're ruining my life. So Zach's like, I don't understand Tosh anymore. We used to be best buds, and now she's like a jerk and leaving me out of stuff all the time. And Hool tells him like she's getting older and wants to figure out what, who she is by trying new things. Here's what he tells her. I have always found it very strange, the changes humans go through during their lives. We Shiido don't do that. Our person- you literally are shapeshifters. Okay. We finish. Our personalities never change. Humans ever change, never change their shape. Now, Shiido, however, change shape all the time. But our personalities remain the same from the day we're born. Grumpy and asshole He's a grumpy asshole baby, yeah. That's what makes us what we are. There's an old saying to the Shiido. No matter how many times we change our shape, we always look like ourselves to those who know us best. What is true for my appearance is true for Tasha's personality. I am sure if you look closely, you will find the Tash you always knew. 
I'm sorry, but like if we all had the same personalities that we had when we were born, we'd constantly be like crying and shitting ourselves. Well, that's well, Cheeto are born probably very calm and cool and collected. Are they born like? Well, like it means that so when Uncle Who was a baby, he was very calm, probably very collected. It means when Borgamus Gog was born, he was like a hysterical idiot who was uh, always like doing failed science experiments, being a fail son. Yeah, none of those kind of sweet, you know. Uncle Who giving us a little like you know comparing. Oh, he Bushido. does care deep down. Yeah. Zack goes and finds Tosh by herself in the tunnels. Grimpen's like off meditating somewhere and like left her long behind. They apologize to each other and Tosh admits Zack was acting more mature than she was. You know, broken clock right twice a day. Yeah, but I mean like when there's a boy involved. Yeah, well it's not a boy, it's like an old man. It's like a grain man. It's like a guy in his 40s. So now I like really don't understand. Yeah. Um, like if he was if he was hot, it would be. But remember, she she desperately wants to learn about. It would be excusable. If he was a hot grandpa, no, she's desperately. Maybe he's a silver fox. She might be. She's desperately looking for people to teach her about the force. Right. That's why she got catfish before. Right. That that's like you know, but Borgamus Gogabe was able to lure her in. Girl, because... just like go to the library. And he's like, promise you'll still be friends even when we're older. And Tasha's like, you betcha. Little she's boy. like, I can't, I can't make those <laughs> But then they're surrounded by brain spiders. Okay, but we've already established the brain spiders are not a threat. Tasha's so. like, no problem, they're friendly. And then it slashes at her and like cuts a hole in her shirt. She's oh. like, oh, okay, maybe, uh, maybe not. They try to run away, but there's spiders at every turn. Eventually, hit a dead end and prepare to die. But then a tauntaun shows up and whaps him away with his tail. Oh, that's right. This is Tantooine. Uncle Hul, you sly shape shifting dog. Wait, aren't tauntauns? Oh, they're from Hoth. They're not in Hoth, but they do have Huel. Yeah, and the spiders retreat. So it says tauntaun scared them away. Who tells him like I'm not going to take this the job up on his new identities plan because like like I told Zach earlier like you're my as as a Shiido shapeshifter my identity is like who I am I have to keep that or oh I'll, you see how it all this this theme or I'll forget who I am like if I say a tauntaun too long I might start thinking I'm a tauntaun right That's is that really thing. what happens mm-hmm. is this like animorphs it's like animorphs but it's like animorphs where if you stay a hawk for more than five hours you become a hawk it's not like you're stuck with it but he just. It, with Shido, it's dangerous because if you stay in a form too long, it kind of becomes who you are. Does that mean even if you shape shift back to your normal shape, you're gonna like it's gonna it's gonna like a tauntaun? You're gonna be walking around and getting your belly cut open. No, but you're gonna think like I'm a tauntaun who shape shifted into a Shido, right? But but then you can like reason your way out of it and be like, well, tauntauns can't normally shape shift, so that doesn't right. make sense. But I'm one who can. Weird. Uh, but yeah, so he wants to make sure that he doesn't forget who he is. He needs his identity. I understand. I understand. And, it's the theme of the book. Okay, right. Right. And so they decide we're going to leave in the morning, uh, and they take the path past the phony hot coals. As it turns out, the spiders don't like them. They don't cross the the, the fake hot coals. Why? I don't know. They don't like Is it. Is it because they're pussies? Yeah, they're freaking pussies. Um, back in Jabba's throne room, Commander Fuzzles there asking for carcass. Jabba laughs and tosses carcass's head onto the floor, like a severed head. Okay, so obviously now now I have no idea what his plan was. He has a weird scar on the so side he, of his head. He didn't turn surgical. him in to get the money. He didn't save well, he, him he, for. He, he, uh, they mentioned earlier, I should have said this, he turns in all the prisoners, all the criminals dead. Oh, so he's going to turn That's his style, okay. yeah. So he definitely was just keeping him to ratchet up the price. Right, right. Okay, and, so- gi- and give uh, Commander Fuzzle his head. Okay. Uh, he has like a weird scar on the on the side of his head, like surgical even, but <gasps> oh well. You oh, know. they took his brain and they put it in a spider. Tash and Zach return. Uh, Zach. Tash and <laughs> Zach. Tash and Zach return Is to their room. Tosh? Tosh and Zach. Yeah. Tash and Zach. Those Tash T A S H, but I keep saying Tosh. I think it's probably Tosh. Tosh and Zach return to their rooms. Zach asks if she wants to do something, like you know, let's have fun before we go. And 
She responds, just mind your own business, kid, and throws up against the wall. <laughs> what was that heart-to-heart they just and had? And Tash's like, I thought we were friends again. And, and Tasha's like, listen, I ain't Did got no friends. Got no friends. <laughs> Whatever I said before, I was just being nice. I didn't mean it. And if you touch me again, I'll eat you for breakfast. Oh, this is not Tosh. Zach lies awake and remembers Uncle who told him. Like, if you look close enough, you'll see the Tosh he always knew. But he ain't see any signs of the Tosh he always knew. In this- no way, that's crazy. It's definitely, um... It's Carcass. You think it's Carcass? Yeah. That's crazy. Why would that be? Later that night, Tosh wakes up and sneaks out of her room. Zack wakes up too and decides to follow behind her, only to see her steal a land speeder and drive it out of the palace into the desert. And so Zack's like, okay, I'll steal one too and see where she goes. (laughs) Um, He follows in hot pursuit all the way to Mos Eisley, where in a dark alley, he finds his sister standing over Commander Fuzzle's body. That's the Imperial officer from before. With a K carved into his skull. Okay, so this is definitely not... This I told you it was carcass. So Zach's like, help, murder! <laughs> and someone down the street yells, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> shut up, you goddamn snitch! No one cares in most no around here about people getting murdered. Uh, Tosh gets away in her speeder. By the time Zach gets back to Jabba's palace, it's morning time, the two twin suns are rising, and Uncle Hula's waking up, and so is Tosh! What? Go, go what? She has no memory of ever going to Mos Eisley. She had a really busy night, but... She's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Zach. I'm fine. We're oh, still friends. There's two Toshes. And so... there's the, the second one is um Tosh 2.0. Oh. <laughs> good, Joanna. Good. Um, She's like, oh, by the way, I'll be right back. Makes a lot of sense. And runs off down the hallway. Um, Zach's like, bull roar. I'm going to follow behind. See so here she goes. She follows her and she goes into Jabba's private quarters. Oh no. She's like, going like, she needs to stop. If, if the place is called private quarters, yeah. just don't go into private quarters. What? Nothing good happens what? in private like, quarters. What the heck? What the heck? What's going on? Uh, but So then a, a brain spider shows up in, uh, behind him and also in front of him and what? he's surrounded. But instead of murdering him, they kind of push him and shove him with their legs. Get out of here. Private. It's private. Toward a door. Hey, stop it. Again, Beedle's not a brain spider. He's a little <laughs> yeah, boy. I know, but I just assume they all talk like him. <laughs> they, all, they can't talk. They can't talk. Yeah, but they're, they're telepathically. They're telepathy. okay, telepathically. Okay, okay. Um, they push him to this tunnel that leads under Jabba's quarters. Like this kind of like underground, like vent area. They even give him a boost up to a grate so you can see what Jabba's... Yeah, we'll give you a boost. They hear Jabba laughing. Like, oh, get in the vent. We'll give you a boost up. And they boost him up to see what he's laughing about. And he sees Tosh and Jabba sitting together, enjoying some wiggly eels at a grand dining table. Oh my god. His sister doesn't like wiggly Jabba growled, I noticed the credits will have not been sent to my account. Tosh nodded. That's right, Jabba. You're not getting your money until we fix this problem. I already explained, the crime lord said as he smacked his lips. Someone freed the prisoner we had reserved for you. We had no other choice, especially with the Imperials approaching. Uh... Yeah, but now I'm stuck with this, Tosh said, pointing at herself. Look on the bright side, the hut gurgled in amusement. No Imperials will ever stop you again. Very funny, Tash snapped back. But I'm telling you, I want this fixed, and I want to fix now! Jabba checked a small data screen near his couch. Ah, just the message I was waiting for. Don't worry, my friend. I have the perfect solution. Right this way. <gasps> so, what the heck's going on? What a marvelously expositional conversation they just had. The spider gave him a boost, kind of lets him down, and begins to scratch into the sand. What were they doing? Were they eating wiggly eels? With his foreleg. Just he kinda... loves those wiggly eels! Let me talk, Joanna. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hate your beadlow voice. It sucks. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so he scratches? What does he So scr- the, the, the scratching started to write into the sand kind of awkwardly with his foreleg. And it writes two words. I'm Tosh. 
Zack, the dumbest boy in the world, figures out that Tasha's brain is in the spider, and Karkus' brain is in Tosh, all because he let the other prisoner go from the jail cell. All it took was literally the brain to write, I am Tosh. Yeah, yeah. That prisoner he let go, that was supposed to be the body for Carcass. Um, I got that. Right? And he realized the only other one that was kind of pushing him around earlier... That's Beadlow. I see, and you said they weren't Beadlow. They one of them. Was I was Beadlow. giving you a, a chapter cliffhanger, like a goosebumps. Zach runs off to find Uncle Hul, but they can't find him anywhere. He's gone. Uh, so he goes to the next best thing. Totally not a creep. Uh, Brother Grimpen. Ew. Tash Spider and Beadlow Spider accompany him to find Grimpen. But by the time he reaches the phony coal floor, the spiders retreat. They don't like it for some reason. It's in their programming. Yeah, that's yeah. what she said. He finds Grimpen meditating in his chamber and tells Zach, "I've been expecting you." And he, like, flat out admits, yeah, I've been doing the brain transfers, man. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that might be too chill, dude. Zach tries to run, but Grimpen grabs him. He's like, now, now, there's no need to be afraid, man. Soon enough, Job will have another customer need of a new identity change, and we'll have just the perfect use for you. That's very cruel. That is not what monks are supposed to be doing. So all that, that is not a problem. So all that stuff about Jabba wanting to give them new identities is what he was talking about. Like, but he wanted to give other people new identities as them. Yes. Yes. And then put their brains in spiders. Yes. Ooh. He grabs Zack to the Great Room of Enlightenment. Uh, Tosh Spider and Beadlow Spider try to, like, try to stop him, but they're just, like, weak brain spiders. They just hey, of, stop it! Stop it! And they kind of, like, pushes him away. Grimpen comes to Jabba, who tells him he's sending down the next patient, and then arrives. Carcass Tosh is pushing a hover sled with an unconscious Uncle Hool on the table. Uh-oh. And he's like, time to get out of this weak, girly body, right? Yeah, lame. And into Uncle Hool. Oh, no! Yeah. Grimpen gets right to work. He restrains Uncle Hool on the table and pulls out his bone saw. Now, I have a question. Yes. If you put Uncle Hool's brain in a spider, will that spider be able to shapeshift? Like, where's the shapeshifting problem? Is it from the brain or is it from the body? And they never come to an answer. Grimpen has him on the table, ready to cut his head open. Uh, Carcass, who's in Tasha's body, is holding Zack at gunpoint. Uh, but turns out, Uncle Hool was faking it. Oh! He's actually awake. And oh, shit, he's jumping around. Doing, like the fakest snores ever. Yeah. He shapeshifts into a giant water snake and wriggles out of the like like an anaconda basically and wriggles out of the restraints. My anaconda don't. My anaconda. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. In the chaos, Zach punches Carcass Tosh in the face and steals the blaster they were holding. And all at once, a bunch of brown robe monks surround them, and they go, "Grimpen, your presence has caused a great disturbance. You must be punished." And who's like, wait, 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 can you, like, switch my, my niece back first? Yeah, can you do that so that she's not, like, trapped in a spider? And, and the monks are not- like, nah, we don't take orders from outsiders. <laughs> <I'm> sorry! <laughs> and but clearly this is a crime that you can rectify. So Uncle Hula's like, well, how about this, then? He pulls out the scroll he was translating, he's like, I can spread all these secrets of your secret society across the galaxy. <gasps> oh, and you didn't think of that, did you? And they're like, okay, fine, we'll switch her back, whatever. So the monks- <laughs> Very easy, though. Short time later, they're leaving Tatooine. Tasha's back in her own body, and Zack wonders about what happened to Beadlow because his original body was never found. Where's my body? And they figure, like, my body! Oh my god! Oh, well, he seems like being a spider. It's fine. You know, it's good. Wait, they're just gonna leave Beadlow in the spider? Well, the idea is that Beadlow would eventually want to become a brain spider, like a brain in a jar. But, but you're only supposed to do that when you're enlightened. Right. We know what happened to Bib Fortuna when that happened to him. He went kind of crazy. Yeah. But, um. There's. Oh, well. It's fine. Nobody cares about Beadlow! Poor Beadlow. Uh, Tosh apologizes for being, uh, being like stranger dangered and like not listening to Zach warn I mean, him all the time. The first time. And Zach's like, that's fine. I got to punch you in the face. It's all good. I got to punch you in the face. <laughs> I know it was Carcass, but I got to punch you in the face. So I'm still the hero. I, I don't mind. Yeah. Later, Jabba demands to see Grimpen and Carcass, but the monks remain silent. 
A brain in a jar wriggles. I'm here, Grimpen screamed, but he had no mouth to yell with. I have no mouth and I can't No scream. one heard him, perhaps for a few very enlightened monks, but they all ignored him too. They knew, Grimpen, they knew that Grimpen would remain on the shelf until he became enlightened, or until the end of time, whichever came first. first. That's the end. Ooh. Brain spiders. It does have kind of a spooky ending. Yeah, no, I love that kind of like... But mostly it's like an episode of Full House. <laughs> to almost, well, with like brain <laughs> switches. Remember that one where, where DJ got her brain of a criminal's brain put into her? And Stephanie was like, I feel like I don't know her anymore. We used to be good friends. Yeah. And then Michelle was like, you're in big trouble, mister. <laughs> Michelle's totally beadlow. Yeah, totally okay. Michelle is beadlow. Anyway, that's book seven of The Galaxy of Fear. Wow. Next week, I'll be reading the next one, which you may guess is book eight. Okay, I thought you were going to tell me the title, but you just tell me the, the title. is called The Swarm. <laughs> the Swarm is a man made entirely of mutant bees. And that's what the book's about. All right. The end. The end. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed our spooky October. Late in October, you waited for it. It came to you. Aren't you glad you waited? We just got spooky. We certainly did. Check in with us next time for the next spooky tale from the Middle Earth and the galaxy far, far away. Um, we're looking forward to spooking you up good. And until then, you can hit us up at com or email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Go on our Facebook, Joanna posts dank memes. I do post it pretty much. Every once in a while, I post link. Dank Every links, once in a dank while, memes. I post actual content. But until then, guys... Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Bye. <laughs>